I really have to appreciate the friendliness amongst some of you here and how you kid around with each other. So last time when I was here on a Sunday night, there were some cars we all recognize in the parking lot next door. And the lot that was at this church here, looking at the cars at the parking lot next door, were looking for paper so they could write notes and place them on windshields, but they decided not to. Um, but I thought, that's good. That's a good sign that you guys could, uh, could feel free enough to kid with one another a little bit. But, um, well, the, much of the talk was what we were going to put on Paul Montgomery's vehicle, but... Uh, <laughs> That was where much of it centered on. But anyhow, that was good. Faith is a real hard one. We talk about faith so much, and we use it so much. Um, I don't know if I'm going to get it all done tonight when I want to get done, so we could end up a third time on this. It, it's a fascinating word, and we could even see in, in some of the songs you had picked out some of the theological truths in those songs and how it talks about faith. Uh, so that was really good. Let's just open in prayer. Father, we just thank you for this time, be able to uh, look a little bit into your word around the idea of faith. Uh, we thank you for uh, how much scripture means to us and what it means in our lives. We also thank you how neatly the word is woven together, though written over many years and by various authors, that you moved in men and and. The uniqueness of the Bible can be seen as we read book after book and how the themes are woven together and how you speak your truth to man and how through the centuries you have never ceased to show your loving kindness and desire for a relationship with your creation. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So I have to do some skipping ahead here. I should have been skipping ahead when I was talking. And that would have been easier. That was what we did last time. Aha! So, faith in the New Testament. Talked a little bit about faith in the Old Testament last time. We're going to talk faith in the New Testament. Now, we talked about the definition, and you can read them up there. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time on them. The idea of allegiance to a person or loyalty, um, acting in good faith. These are all sort of the words when we talk about faith today, and you discuss with faith, this is what people think talked about a belief for trust and loyalty in God. We talked about doctrines of religion. We talked about a firm, uh, almost like a blind faith some people have. And that's what a lot of people think you and I have on, uh, in Scripture, is our belief in Scripture is a blind faith, like we're just leaping across this chasm and say, okay, I'm going to believe. And, and they don't quite understand what's going on there. Okay, we talked about faith being complete trust, now into this week. So I like this. A.D.W. Tozer notes that a true Christian feels supreme love for one whom he has never seen, talks familiarly every day to someone he cannot see, sees the invisible, hears the inaudible, and knows that which passes knowledge. That was from his book, Roots of Righteousness also found this, faith is an act of trust in God, a belief in what he says is true that results in action. I think that's a lot what we see in, in Hebrews, that their faith produced works and action. They, they did something. It, it moved them forward. 
So, a bit of the etymology of the word um, faith. In Greek, the word faith is pistis, and it actually comes from, uh, in Greek mythology, there was a goddess, and she personified trust and faith and trustworthiness, very close to the Roman goddess, I think it's pronounced Phaedis, and same idea, goodness of trust and good faith. So that was where the word in the Greek came from. Biblically, it has the idea of faith, trust, and it comes from a, another root word, and we're going to talk about the other root word in just a second. We see this faith 244 times approximately in the New Testament. And here's what I think is really great. Look at what I've underlined there. It's faith, faithfulness, belief, trust, with an implication that actions based on that trust may follow. So I have a trust and I have a faith, and the implication is that because of that, because of that faith that I have, actions follow. So it's more than just an acknowledgement of something. It's like, okay, I acknowledge this, I make it part of me, and because now it is part of who I am, this faith, there's actions to follow. And some people refer to it, it can refer also to the concept of the Christian system of beliefs and our lifestyle, a person of faith. Now, that's become a little worn today, um, but at one time, it, predominantly, when somebody said they were a man or a woman of faith, we thought, oh, that's a believer, that's a Christian. But now it's used as more of a, a spirituality. Uh, it's not bad to use that, um, but defining in a context makes it a little bit easier for us. So the primary word faith comes out of this word, and, and, and it's a verb, and it's almost the concept of to convince by argument. So you're going to agree, assure, um, it, it has a confidence behind it. There's a persuasion to it. It is also a name of a Greek goddess and literally means persuasion or winning with eloquence. So it's interesting that, that faith comes from this concept of being persuaded. So when we place our faith in something, we're persuaded there's truth there, and that's what we're following. So that's a bit of the background from it. So examples of faith in the... In the um, in Scripture, from Matthew 17, and I picked this one just because there's some derivatives in it. So when we read, the, read it, we say, And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him, and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he has seizures, and he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire, and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples, and they could not heal him. And Jesus answered, O oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. So that's our first encounter with faith, and it's the idea of faithless. And again, it's a derivative from the word pistis, unbelieving, lacking trust, doubting, um, especially somebody outside the gospel, a non-believer, it takes that. So he's looking at them, he's calling them, you unbelieving, you doubting people. Then we move on. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? 
He said to them, because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like the grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. So that word, little faith, is actually one word. And you can see it there, and again, it still has the base of faith in the Greek. And it's one word of little faith, or little faith faithless, meaning scant faith. You don't have a much. It's small. It's weak. So we see it used there. In this passage, we see it used again. Why could we not cast it out? He said, because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard, now we get down to the main word. If you believe, if you trust, if, if you're wholeheartedly bought in, then you would have been able to do it. So that's where we see in that. We see sort of the implication of faith and faithlessness together. So let's dig a little bit deeper. Let's go to Hebrews. When we talk about faith, this is probably the one passage where everybody turns to. We go, oh, Hebrews 11, right? Talk about the hall of faith. And then here we see it. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. So, pistis, faith, faithfulness, belief, that trust, that implication. So now faith is what? It's the assurance, it's the confidence, that concept of trust, being assured of something. I I think in some scriptures it says, now faith is the essence of things hoped for. It's that sort of same word. And that word hope for is one. It means to hope, hope for, put your hope in. It's expected. It's an attitude of confidently knowing or looking forward to something that's good or beneficial. So it's more than um, it's more than the hope Greg and I will have come September that the Leafs might actually win a Stanley Cup <laughs> in our lifetime again. Um, it's not that kind of hope. There, there's an expected, confident attitude, uh, and it's looking towards something. So, now faith is the insurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So that word conviction comes from another word that talks about the idea of proof, that which has been proved or tested. So now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction, the the proof something's been tested, of things not seen. They actually mirror each other here. And seen is just to see, to look out for, pay attention. And then for by it, the people of old received their commendation, uh, matured. uh, It means the idea of to testify, to give testimony, to vouch for. So when we look at the Hall of Fame, the Faith Hall of Fame, there is evidence of faith because they believed God for the future. So the Hall of Faith shows us that faith is real because these people believe God for the future, but why did they believe God for the future? Because God had proven himself in the present and in the past. So what I'm getting at is this was not, this commendation they were given wasn't because of a blind faith. They believed because they could look back and they say, okay, God worked here and here. And and I'll show you that in a second, why we can say that. Then it goes on to say, By faith we understand 
So we have insight. We are able to reflect that the universe was created by the Word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So that concept of created was to restore, to complete, to equip, train, ordain. But that the universe was created how? Ex nihilo, out of nothing. So we believe that because God told us, right? So faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is just one aspect. Let's take a deeper. Systematic Theology Study Bible said this, We do not see Jesus now, but love him who loved us and gave himself for us. Although we do not see him, we trust him for salvation and greatly rejoice. This is only possible because of the faith Hebrews 11 describes. Fair statement? Okay. 1 Peter 1, 8, 9. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So another aspect. So what are we hoping for? Well, we're hoping for our salvation. We know it's coming. We expectedly wait for it. And the outcome of our faith is what? It's the salvation of our souls. When we talk about having saving faith. So what description of faith do we have in these verses? Well, faith gives us insurance of things hoped for. It's an attitude of confidently expecting looking forward to what is good and beneficial. So when we talk about hope, that's what we're talking about. We have an expectant reason for this. So as we meet on Sunday and we talk about having faith in the future and faith, we talk about what? We're expecting what? What are we expecting in the end? Christ coming back or a rapture or us going there. No one likes to say that part of it, do we? It's, it's not that you're dead. It's the dying that bothers most people, I think, the way it might happen. But that's what our expectation is. What we're confidently looking forward to is the completion of our salvation, and that's in the presence of Christ, in the presence of the Father, and the new heavens and the new earth eventually. So that's how hope is defined. Then we look at faith further, Faith provides the conviction of things not seen. So how is conviction defined? A proof. Things that could be proven and tested. So what it's saying is that faith is not blind. So is our faith blind? And if not, how come we can say that? This is where we're going to spend the bulk of our time just talking about things in this. Now, my piece of paper, it says, you guys will talk 10 minutes about this. Is your faith blind? Okay. Okay, we have the Word. Why else is it not blind? You have the Spirit that speaks within us. Examples. Abraham by faith. But how did Abraham know? 
you believe. That's part of that's part of faith. We'll talk a little bit more of that next week. But how else? Ah, he could see what God was doing. So we do not have a blind faith. And I think there's a few things we have to remember. You can't see this. I wondered about that. It wouldn't blow up as big. But if you were to look at that and you just kind of get the general shape of it, it's from creation through to the flood and, and beyond the flood. And it lists all the people that you have in Scripture there. And you can see, and I, I've got it written down because I knew you wouldn't be able to see this so good. But if you look down, you can see all the way down. And you get down to third from the bottom is Abraham, then Isaac, and then Jacob. So you can see when their lives lived on a timeline, and you can see back to where Adam was. And Adam's the very first line, and you can see how many people he crosses over. Enoch's the very short one. Why is Enoch so short? Yeah, about 300 and some odd years. Enoch was and then was not. <laughs> he was gone. So he's one of the shorter sort of early people in Scripture. The rest all lived, what, around 900 years or so? So when we go through this, think of this. Methuselah knew Adam, Seth, and Enoch. Their lives crossed over with one another. One of the things we forget, and, and, and it's because it's not part of our Scripture, is there was likely writings. Moses likely wrote from something. Probably gathered some evidence. God moved him. Uh, there would have been stories uh, things passed down in tradition. So when you think of Methuselah, Methuselah would have first-hand accounts from Adam. Can you imagine that? Sitting down with Adam and just going, I'm going to pick on you. Adam, why did you eat it? <laughs> why did you listen to her? <laughs> Dorothy, he's picking on you. <laughs> but can you imagine that? Just actually Methuselah, Abel. And we don't think about this. So we talk about not being blind faith. Methuselah sat, could have sat. We're not told for sure, but they certainly overlapped enough years. Could have sat and had discussions with Adam. Why did this happen? What took place? What was the garden like? That would be some of my questions. What was the garden like? What was it really like? I'm sure you farmers would have enjoyed it because there wouldn't have been weeds when it first all started. What would have life been without weeds? Right, Brian? You're still farming a bit. It'd be like heaven, wouldn't it? <laughs> no weeds. Um, and then you think of Seth. Seth would have passed down stories. This is what it was like. This is what the family was like. That's who we married, all these different things. Methuselah would have witnessed, would have been witness to Enoch. Probably not there when Enoch just went up and that was it. But he would have been around to, hey, I'm looking for Enoch. Anybody see him? I, I was supposed to go over to his house for supper, but he's not there. I, I mean, I don't know what happened. That's all speculation. But the fact that he was present at the time Enoch was removed from this earth and taken up to the heavens. I mean, it would have not gone on notice to brothers or sisters or other clan people that all of a sudden Enoch wasn't around anymore. And then think of it, Methuselah knew Noah. Noah. 
Yes. So Noah would be getting now second account stories because of how long they lived. And then it begins to make sense before we had everything written down starting in, in Moses' time. It makes sense. Like, oh, well, this makes sense because hopefully Methuselah and Adam's memory is better than mine. Um, but it makes sense that, okay, we, we have Adam to Methuselah, Methuselah to Noah. So chances are that that which was passed on was very accurate of what was happening. Well, we know it was accurate because it's in God's Word, but you know what I mean, the fact that that was there. So just think, Methuselah knew Noah. Knowing his son's lifespan, talking about Shem, overlaps with Abraham. Shem's lifespan overlaps with Abraham and Isaac. And from Isaac, we have the Jacob, the 12 sons. We get into the 400 years with Joseph, and then we get Moses delivering them. So do we have a blind faith? I don't think so. Because we can see in Scripture, when we look at things, what God has handed down to us is, oh, wait a second. As far as number of people... There isn't a huge gap between this passing of knowledge to people, uh, of having walked with God. There are those who can say, hey, I was there. How many had grandfathers that fought in World War I? Yeah. Because I know when I did my history project in high school in World War I, I thought, well, forget the books. I picked up the phone, <laughs> and I know it number of years had passed by then, over 50, almost 60. But hey, Grandpa, can you talk about the war tonight? First gave him a chance to say yes or no. Um, most days he could, but every once in a while he didn't want to. And he said, yeah, I can answer your history questions for you. Asked him some history questions. Now I can pass on some of that to people because I remember him telling exactly what it was like and what happened. Same concept here is what we're looking at in regards to that. Creation. Creation's another reason. It mentions creation in Scripture. Um, there are stories of the account of creation in the Baha faith, Buddhism, Hinduism, and Islam. We have to think about when we think about creation because we see what Scripture says. We can, we can look around us. People go, oh, well, you're just one of many stories and accounts out there. And it's like, oh, wait a second. Did we take it from them or did they take it from us? Because a number of these writings happened after, way after we had started recording things in the Scriptures of how God created the earth. So we, we have the account of creation. We can look around us. And we'll go a little deeper to that in just a second. We also have traditions of flood accounts. So the oldest tradition, which actually the dating on it is prior to, to Moses' writing, is the Epic of Gilgamesh. Very similar to what we have in the Genesis account, but just because it's the oldest recorded as far as when they can date the record of it doesn't equate it to the original. But Aztecs, Greeks, Hindu, Buddhist, Norse people, Aboriginal North American uh, people have it. China has 
these accounts of a great flood that took place on the earth. So when we look at a great flood taking place and we can see all these other and ancient and older cultures saying again and again, hey, there was a flood, there was a flood, there was a flood. Even though they might not have all the account right, it says to us, well, wait a second. Do you wonder, do you, do you, do you think there was a flood? And again, it's something we can have confidence in. Look, this is the true record, our scripture, our Bibles, but other people have passed along flood stories because, why? Because there was a flood. So scripture, again, when trying to put, put forth is it's not just a blind leap. It's not playing those youth games when they put a bag over your head and you can't see anything or a pinata and you just take swings at stuff. There's reasons for why we believe. More and more creation research confirms that what you expect to find if the world was created is exactly what you find. As they discover things like, oh, this is exactly what we... And the same with the flood. As they go out and they research and as they do their stuff around uh, what stuff that geologists do, they find out, hey, wait a second. If there was a flood, this is exactly what we would expect to find and this is what we find. So there's some great stuff on that. Um, how many people ever go over to the Answers in Genesis websites? They have some great stuff on Tuesdays, no, Wednesdays and Mondays. They have commentary on the latest discoveries and different things like that. You can find it on Facebook or on their website. Uh, it's about a half an hour long. They do a great job of talking about different things that confirm that what you would expect to find is what we are finding. Uh, they also do some other commentary on different events. It's interesting. Um, in our household, we listen to Breakpoint which is from Chuck Colson's ministries out of the States. And they had this on this week. Evolutionists are concerned. The new discoveries, the, the theory isn't measuring up. So the more they discover about the world around us, evolutionists today are a little concerned, like, well, wait a second. This theory's been really good up until this point, but we're starting to see some weak points in it. It's, it's not matching up to what we thought it would, and there's some holes in here. So they have actually said, we need a new theory. Now, they don't want to go, wait a second. You know, if I open up this book, I, I can find it right here. It tells me how it happened. No, they don't want to go that far. But they are admitting that they have some huge holes and they don't know how to deal with them. And, and it's not working out for them. It reminds me of exactly what I said about um, Richard Dawkins this morning as he tries in his aggressive evolution, new atheist, as they try to obliterate Christianity from our culture, he's like, oh, oh, wait a second. If we get rid of Christianity, what comes behind it might be way, way worse. Maybe this isn't a good thing. And beginning to admit that, well, I'd like to think I'm a nice guy. Uh, that doesn't mean everybody's going to choose the right thing. So the new discoveries in creation. Archaeology. For years and years, the secular world kept telling us King David is a myth. King David is a myth. King David is a myth. You've got no proof of King David. Well, that all changed in 94, and I think there's been more discoveries. I just picked a couple to deal with tonight. 94, an ancient stone slab was discovered in northern Galilee 
referencing the house of David. So all of a sudden it's like, oh, okay, well, maybe David does exist. No, no. they will go back and say, this exaggerates David, but now they've had to at least say, well, David does exist. In your library, you have what they call drive-through history, and I know it's geared towards kids, teens and sat. I used it somewhat one time with my junior high, but it is fast-paced, and it's very interesting. If you haven't watched them, the drive-through history ones on Israel are kind of interesting, and he touches on some of the archaeology and the different digs in and around Israel, and it's just a fast-paced kind of fun way to do it. It's really great for kids, but I enjoyed it as an adult. One of the other great finds um, is in 1906, a German archaeologist discovered the ancient capital city of the Hittites. And when they discovered the city, they found a library. And in that library, 10,000 clay tablets. And on those 10,000 clay tablets, it confirmed everything Scripture had to say about the Hittite civilization. I read that and thought, clay tablets. Thought of the Flintstones going to the library. Uh, (laughs) Can I take a book home with me? Um, So confirmed again. When Scripture touches on history, it is correct. So are we stepping out in blind faith? And I think that's what the verse means. And it it might not be thinking of these things when, when the author wrote it, but he was thinking of all that we could trust that went before us because of what was passed down. Now, then Scripture itself, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. That's why I'm sure that's what the verse means, eyewitness testimony. That's what John wrote. He said, I was there. I can confirm this. Others can confirm this. We saw, we touched, we walked with the Lord. We saw the cross. So do we have a blind faith? No. We have a faith that looks back and says, look, Jesus Christ was a historical figure, came into the world, died on the cross, rose again, and ascended to heaven. And there's all kinds of proof. First-hand accounts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, Peter, and John out of the disciples. Then you have Paul. James, the brother of Jesus, wrote a book. 1 Corinthians 15, 500 witnesses. Then you could go back and you begin to look at the fulfilled prophecies of the past and what had happened there. And again and again and again, Scripture proves itself. So no, we don't have a blind faith. Hebrews 11, though, does say this, And without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. For those who will seek him in faith. Could have gone on and dealt uh, with with, um, Scripture itself. The whole concept of um, how we have our scripture and, and, and the translations and textual criticism. If we understand the Dead Sea Scrolls, so what we had in the Dead Sea Scrolls, I believe it was Isaiah, if I'm correct. If Isaiah was, was written, let's say we'll use this, 
So this is when Isaiah was written. Prior to the Dead Sea Scrolls, the evidence for Isaiah and, the, and what we had for Isaiah would have been way over here. Okay, this is the earliest manuscript we have of Isaiah. We don't have any more, so we're really removed from what it was written. The Dead Sea Scrolls took the earliest manuscript that we had here, and it backed it up, and it backed it up 400 years. And it backed it up to the point when they looked at it and they compared. They can't compare to that because they didn't have it anymore. But we're 400 years closer and they compared the one that we had to the one they found. No difference. Nothing of any value. It didn't change the theology. It didn't change anything. Dead Sea Scrolls moved so much forward for us as far as being able to look at Scripture and say, hey, we can trust this. You could do a whole evening on textual criticism and what that means. It's a whole science to be able to show the Scripture that you and I read and take time to, to study and to learn about God is essentially accurate. There's very, very few differences from the manuscripts over the years. Ah, there might be a little mark off on a number or something like that, but there's the, the, the manuscripts they find line up with one another again and again and again from different geological locations to different time periods. They line up. It shows us what was passed down to us. What they touched years ago and read from is what you and I touch and read from today. So the ancient writings can be trusted. And it's that that allows us not to have a blind faith. Believing in Christ is not a blind. We're going to talk a little bit what that means next time. But it's not a blind faith. It's a faith based on history. It's a ba faith based on accuracy in the word. There's so much that goes into it. The word faith takes a, a great, huge, it's encompassing. But Hebrews 11.6, but without faith it is impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and he rewards those who diligently seek him. So faith is more than just knowledge too. So we need to make sure we understand that before we leave for the evening. It's not just knowledge. When I was doing my study, I was reading and it said something like this. You do realize that the fallen angels and demons are not atheists. And I thought, well, I never thought of it that way. They're right. <laughs> They're not atheists. Even Scripture tells us they believe God. They don't believe in trust in Him. But they're not atheists. They know He exists. So it's a little bit more than that. But that takes us to where I wanted to go tonight. It would take too long to do the rest of what I, I want to do with the word faith. But it, it's a very interesting word. But so many times when we talk to people around us and we're sharing our faith, we know that God is part of that and God has to draw the person. But as we deal with them, we need to be able to help them get over the fact that we're just not leaping off a building with a blindfold on when we put our trust in God. There's God's element to it, and that's what I want to talk on next time a bit. But there's an element of reality that it's based in truth and it's based in history. And we can trust that. Let's pray. And then we've got one last song or 
Father, we just thank you for your word and for this opportunity to join together. We thank you that as we look around in the world around us, that you prove yourself again and again. You prove yourself in scripture. Uh, you prove yourself as we begin to understand the true sciences around us, as we look at creation and as we look into archaeology, into history, that where scripture touches on these things, it is absolutely 100% correct. And in that, we can see that you've shown yourself to be true, and we can trust in that. We thank you for that in Christ's name. Amen. And we've got one last song. Thank you.